And uh, I, I was sitting there a while ago and uh, looking at uh, these verses, and uh, from there on down through verse uh, 26, uh, the, the entire emphasis there seems to be on uh, having a heart of wisdom. And I'm saying that ahead of time because as we go through these verses, you're going to notice that there is a, uh, well, there are references to where we've been and references to where we're going later in this chapter. And so it's, it's like it's kind of picking up all of the pieces, the, uh, the residual information of things that we've talked about and, and showing us how all of this uh, depends upon wisdom, us having the wisdom of God. And, you know, we can have a mind full of knowledge. We can have all of the facts in the world and know what we ought to do. But if we don't have the wisdom to apply it, it's not of any real benefit. So that's what we're going to look at beginning in verse number 15. And uh, the first thing t tonight I want to call your attention to is I want you to notice what wisdom will do. And I'm going to mention six or seven or eight things here that I've that I've marked here in my Bible. Things that wisdom will do. And the first thing uh, that's mentioned is the fact that it brings joy. Verse 15, my son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice. Now, verse 16, yea, my reins, that is my most inward parts. That's an old-timey word that they used back then to speak about, you know, we might talk about our heart or something, but it's all about our inward parts. My reign shall rejoice. Now look at verse 24 and 25. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Verse 25, thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall Rejoice. Well, if you're a parent, you know that children can bring either grievous pain or great pleasure. Uh, you know, the, the greatest blessings in life uh, uh, come as a result of those that, you know, that are dear to our heart. We think about our, you know, our spouse and our children. And uh, certainly whenever we love someone so dearly, Whenever we see them, for example, go the way of the world or they do things that you know is going to cause them to get hurt, and it just tears your heart out. And sometimes, some, in fact, I have heard people say, well, if I had to do over again, I, I wouldn't even have any children. And uh, that, that's a horrible attitude as far as I'm concerned, but... That being said, you know, I, I, I can understand how they feel because sometimes the pain overwhelms you to the point that you literally act out of character. That's not the way you really feel, but at the moment, it's, that's your way of saying, I can't cope with this. It's, it's wiping me out. On the other hand, the greatest pleasures that we receive come as a result of seeing our loved ones and especially our children excel. And when we see our children doing something that is displaying wisdom in their life and it's evidence that they're on the right track, then you know everything's going to be all right. I, 
you, you know, that can apply to a lot of different things. You, as a dad, you always wonder about how your boys are going to do and so forth. And I remember there's a kid, uh, we lived in Kentucky, there's a kid next door, and he was two or maybe three years older than Tim, but they were actually about the same size. Just a little kid, and he's a tough little street kid anyway. And uh, and I watched them one day. They were out in the backyard, and uh, if I remember right, they had some boxing gloves. And I thought, oh, boy, Tim's going to get worked over good here, you know. And as a concerned father, I thought, I may have to go stop this. And uh, anyway, to make a long story short, he more than held his own with that kid. From that day on, I never worried about whether he could take care of himself physically or not because there wasn't no kid in the school that was going. I, I knew he could hold his own. Now, I've said that for a reason other than to make Tim feel good. More importantly is whenever... Whenever we see one of our kids make an intelligent decision and see them displaying wisdom, wow, it, it's like, you know, all of the effort, all of the prayers, all of the time and everything you've invested, it, it makes it all worthwhile. And there's no joy like the joy of being a, uh, the parent of a child that, that you know is doing their best to live for the Lord. Now, verse 16, notice here's something else that wisdom will do for you. It controls the tongue. Yea, when thy lips shall speak right things. Well, I don't need to tell you children are prone to say some really foolish and, and harmful things. I think I've mentioned before that when I was in the seventh grade, we had a, we had a teacher that would just cry at the drop of the hat. And I, I, I mean, literally, when she started crying, she, she just went to pieces and literally couldn't teach the class. And she would either go or send one of the kids to go get the uh, uh, assistant principal or something, and somebody would take over the class. So you know what happened, right? There were two or three of us boys that we were determined that we were going to do something to upset her just to see if we could get her out of class for that day. And kids can be cruel, I'm telling you. They can say some horrible things. And I, I, I did that to my mother one time, one time. And I, I, this, that picture is just painted in my mind to this day there in that little old back bedroom and her laying across the bed crying her eyes out because I had uh, said something that was very ugly. And uh, finally, I couldn't take it anymore. And I laid down beside her and put my arms around my mother and said, Mommy, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. And uh, kids can say some harmful things. But, you know, it's not just the kids, is it? A lot of times we say things that cause great injury to other people. And it's wisdom that helps us keep our tongue in check. Whenever you hear somebody say, well, you know, I'm just one of those, you know, that well, I just say what I think. I, I wouldn't brag about that. The Bible says the fool uttereth all of his mind. Don't brag about that. We should not just say whatever we think, whatever comes to our mind, you know. We need to control our tongue, and the Bible has a great deal to say about that, and wisdom, wisdom 
knowing, you know, what to say and when to say certain things, we need wisdom to know exactly what we ought to speak. Then verse 17, it prevents envy. Notice what he says, let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. And by the way, fear and wisdom go hand in hand. I'm talking about the fear of the Lord, the reverence for God. And you go back to the very beginning of Proverbs, and it talks about uh, that very thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. And notice he says, let not thine heart envy sinners. Well, you know, there's so many times in life that we uh, we see someone else prospering. It might be someone they don't attend church. They don't demonstrate any love for God or faithfulness to His church. They're not kind to their neighbor, you know, or anything. And yet everything seems to go their way. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves, as we look at their prosperity, we'll find ourselves being envious of them. And we need to realize that that we are far better off as a child of God walking in the ways of God than those people that seem to be prospering and walking in the ways of the world. You know, he, he, the one thing I, that we need to keep in mind is when God's dealing with unsaved people, because so many times we get the idea, I don't know why God just doesn't kill them. Why, they are so mean, so worthless, so no good. Why does God let them get by with it? And here I've got all of these problems. They're getting by with all of that. They got a raise last week. They got a new car. They got this. They got that. Why would God do that? Well, remember, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Our reward is coming someday. And, and God doesn't win them to himself by making them as miserable as he possibly can, but rather, remember, as the Lord said, he sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike and the sunshine on those that are thankful and those that are not thankful. God's good to everyone, you see. And, and we've got to remember our payday comes someday, and wisdom teaches us that we ought not to envy those who are among the wicked. Then notice in verse 18, we find that wisdom brings a reward. It says, for surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. That word expectation is uh, uh, simply means our hope. Our, our hope shall not be cut off. We have expectations. And, and the point is that wisdom leads us to the best possible future. You could say it makes our hopes a reality. And, you know, we all as Christians certainly, you know, in, in light of the promises that God has made about taking care of our needs, rewarding our efforts, and so on and so forth, and we look at all of that, and we can live in the light of all of those promises. We have certain expectations of God, not because we earn those things, but because God has promised those things. And that's an important distinction, by the way. A lot of people expect God to do things, you know, on the basis of the fact well, I'll tell you, I'm really faithful. I attend church regularly. I, I, I give the tithe. I do this. I do that. And it, it, it's like we're trying to earn our way with God. We're trying to obligate God, and it doesn't work that way. 
So our expectations cannot be built upon our feeling of self-worth. It has to be based upon the promises that, that he made. And so we have these expectations, and he's telling us here that wisdom enables us to live our life in such a way that our hopes are not going to be disappointed, that they're going to be fulfilled. And what a wonderful thing that is, because sometimes, you know, in the world, uh, in, in regards to just the secular things of the world, for example, we get our hopes up about this and about that, and, wow, something happens and they're dashed to pieces. And uh, I've got good news for you as a Christian. You can rely upon the fact that all of your hopes are going to be realized, but it's just a matter of time. And wisdom enables us to understand that. Now, verse 19 and we're still talking about, you know, the blessings that, uh, that come as a result of wisdom. And here we find in verse 19 that wisdom gives proper direction. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Now, over and over again, and we'll get to it here in a little bit, uh, where he continually says something about hearing. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so Solomon says, hear my son, notice, and be wise and guide thy heart in the way. You know, our, our destiny is determined by our decisions. We don't just some way, somehow end up somewhere in life. Wherever we end up, it's a result of the decisions that we make. And there's so many people, you know, that whenever all of a sudden their life, you know, has gone awry and here they are on rock bottom and everything's going wrong and the first thing they want to do is to look back and say, well, you would understand if you'd been through what I've been through. If you, if you had to live with the same circumstances I had to live with, you'd understand why I am where I am. You know, the, the the fact of the matter is uh, those circumstances do affect us and, and sometimes in drastic ways and painful ways, but that's not the determining factor. Uh, you know, uh, the thing that determines where we end up are the decisions that we make. And that's why we need wisdom, that we will make the wisest decisions in life and that's what Solomon is hoping for his son and then notice verse 20 and verse 21 he talks about another blessing and that is that it enables us to avoid bad company well we already talked about that uh, quite extensively earlier in this chapter when he spoke about the matter of separation but notice he says be not among wine bibbers and we'll get back to that here in a little bit but notice, among riotous, uh, among riotous eaters of flesh, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe the man with rags. Now, I said at the very beginning that I want you to notice that in this section where everything is relating to wisdom, it, but it's like Solomon is looking back and taking uh, uh, bits and pieces of what he's already said, and he's looking forward to the things that he says later in this chapter, and he's pulling them into the discussion. He's wanting us to see how wisdom relates to all of these things. 
And I said at the very beginning, if there was any one, you know, overriding theme of this chapter, it has to do with us learning to to maintain proper control of ourselves. And we can't do that without wisdom. And one of the things that wisdom does is to help us to avoid bad company. Like old Sam Jones used to say, you lay down with the dogs, you get up with the fleas. And that's right. That's, you know, that, that's, that's what happens. You run with the wrong crowd and, 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 and it's going to have an effect on you. You know, so, so many times we, you know, the kids especially, they get all bent out of shape whenever you try to, uh, whenever you try to dictate to them, you know, who they can, who they can chum around with, but they need to understand you're doing that for a good reason because you can see certain things, you know, maybe in that kid's life that's not right and you know that it's going to affect them in a negative way. Well, verse 22, uh, and, and then we'll get on and talk about how wisdom is gained, but here's the last thing that I'll mention about the blessings of wisdom, and that is the fact that it displays respect. Verse 22, Hearken unto thy father that beget thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Well, there's a whole lot of things I could say about about that verse, but let me tell you something. If you want to know about a person's character, if you want to know what they really are, you just watch how they treat their parents because that tells a story. If they don't have any respect for their parents, there's not much to them. You know, I, none, none of us have ever had perfect parents. There's no doubt about that. I, I was talking to someone today, and uh, I, I, I made the comment. I said, you know, I just don't understand the situation we were talking about I said, whenever I, whenever I was a rebel son drinking and crousing and all of the bad stuff that I was doing, and I treated my mother better than what I see some professing Christians doing today. And, 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 and I mean that with all of my heart. I, I do, for the life of me, I do not understand how some people can be so disrespectful toward their parents. And I'm telling you, that is a reflection of your attitude toward God because God, listen, this is the first commandment with promise. This is a, the, the Lord has promised longevity. That is a longer life for those that honor and obey their parents. And so it's crucial that we obey the Lord. And wisdom, wisdom is going to cause a person to do that. Well, now in looking at those seven things I just mentioned, obviously wisdom is an extremely important thing and it brings all of these great blessings. But the question is, how can we gain wisdom? Well, look at verse 19, and uh, this is the, the first thing, and that is by heeding instructions. Notice, I mentioned this earlier, he said, Hear thou my son, and be wise. Heeding instructions. Learning to listen, learning to learn, heeding the instructions. And by doing that, we gain wisdom. But notice verse 19 it shows us here that that requires personal effort. It says, guide thine heart in the way. Guide thine heart 
in the way. That goes back to what I was talking about, about making decisions. And whenever you come into church, for example, or when the kids go to school or whatever the situation might be, we make a determination as to whether we're going to listen to people or not. And uh, that, you know, too many times we just have a way of tuning them out and consequently we don't profit from whatever is said. You know, uh, I sat through all of the algebra classes just like the other kids did, but I, I didn't I didn't learn what they did. I, I was in the same history class and English class they were in, but I didn't learn as much as they did and that's because I didn't want to. I just wanted out of there. I, I you know, I, a D minus to me was just as good as an A because it was going to get me out of that class and I could graduate. I, I didn't care uh, because I just hated school. Well, there are a lot of people go through life with that attitude. And, and, and I'm telling you, this matter of learning, this matter of gaining wisdom, it's not something that God wants you to have it so bad that He just opens up your head and pours in a gallon of wisdom now and then. It's something that we've got to ask for, something we've got to strive for. In other words, it takes effort on our part. It doesn't just happen. You see someone that is, you know, obviously extremely wise. It didn't just happen. It's as a result of them making an effort to gain wisdom. Now notice verse 23, he mentions here the pursuit of truth. He says, buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom, notice, and instruction and understanding. Buy the truth and sell it not. Remember Jesus said the, the truth would what? It would set us free. The truth has that liberating effect in our life. It delivers us from the bondage of air. And, 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 and we need, need the truth regardless of what area of our life that we're talking about here. And, and all of the perplexing questions of life, uh, can, can be found and answered only by the truth. And, if you're wise, you're not content with mere theories. You know, everybody has a theory. You know, well, uh, you know, I've always believed or grandpa always said or we come up with all of these different reasons for why, what we believe. But the fact of the matter is, like the old Dragnet series, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. And that's what we need, we, just the facts. That's what we need, the rock-solid truth. And so it's through the pursuit of truth that we're able to gain wisdom. But it takes more than that. Look at verse 26. It also requires surrender. My son, give me thine heart. You know, searching for the truth, uh, that basically when we think about that, it has to do with our head, right? <laughs> Where we think. We're, we're gathering information, you know. We're correlating all of these facts and what have you and putting them in our mental file cabinet for future reference and all of that. But notice, he says, give me thine heart. Now, this is something more than a matter of information. This has to do with our affections, and it has to do with a matter of surrender. Give me thine heart. And, and, and if we're going to be wise, we have to reach that point that we surrender ourselves to the Lord. But there's another factor, and I've got to hurry. Verse 26, and that's example. He says, let thine eye observe my ways. 
Now, let me tell you, the parent who says that better makes certain that that they're going in the right way. You, you know, if you're going in the wrong way, why well, it'd be a mistake to say to your son or daughter, just, you know, observe my ways. Watch how I'm living. This is how you do it, son. Just follow me. Well, if you want them to follow you, you better be going in the right direction. Now, this is going to come into play here in just a minute. Remember, this is Solomon saying to his son, observe my ways. Now, in verse 27 through verse 28, he, he, he focuses in on the matter of sexual purity. And notice what he says, verse 27, For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. Now, this section here is tied to the section we've just been talking about. And I say that because notice verse 27 again, the word for. It starts with the word for. That takes us back to what he just said in verse number 26, right? And verse 26, what he said, My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Well, I look at that and I wonder to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can somebody who failed so miserably as Solomon, how can he possibly say to his son, watch me, son, this is how you live, this is how you do it. How can he make a statement like that? Well, there are a couple of things that we need to remember. Number one, whenever we do that, we're just looking at his failures and not his successes. And that's what happens most of the time to us whenever we think about a person, the mention of a name or whatever it is, and automatically the first thing we think about is the areas that they fail in, right? You know, they did this or they did that. But remember, there's two sides to this coin. I mean, by the way, Solomon was a good and a godly man, although he made some horrible mistakes, and I know that because God used him to write a good portion of the Word of God. And the Bible says holy men were wrote the Scriptures as they were moved by the Spirit of God. So he was a Spirit-filled man, and, and surely he wasn't saying to his son, uh, what I really want for you, son, is a repeat performance. I want you to do all of the dumb things I did. He doesn't have that in mind. He's talking about his successes. He's talking about the right things that he did. But, but there's another possibility. Whenever a man who has failed so miserably as Solomon says, observe my ways, follow, you know, the lifestyle that, that, that I've, I've lived, Remember this, that, that, that Solomon of, often personifies wisdom. He does it over and over again. In other words, he, he, he attaches a name to it. He speaks about wisdom as though it were a person. And uh, I think he's simply telling his son to be wise. And, you know, you can put yourself in the third person and be speaking as though you are wisdom. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe that's what was going on there. Uh, but it doesn't change the content of what he's saying. And that is the, the call for sexual purity. For a whore is a deep ditch and a strange woman is a narrow pit. And so notice the danger here is depicted as a deep ditch and a narrow pit. Well, what, 
what does that say to you? Well, it says to me it's hard to get out of. A deep ditch, a narrow pit, something hard to get out of. You know, you get yourself in a mess and, and, and you can't hardly get out of it. And that's what he's saying here. Don't mess around with those kind of women. You'll get yourself in a situation that you can't get yourself out of. Verse 28. She also lieth in wait as for a prey and increaseth the transgressors among men. In other words, the seductress here is pictured like a predator looking for its prey. And and he's simply telling us that we ought to be vigilant. We ought to be constantly alert, searching uh, for temptation. Because notice, she lieth in wait. It's like you picture a dark street, and she's down there just around the corner, and she's just watching for someone that she thinks, you know, will respond to her advances, and she approaches him. And uh, and, and it's it's kind of like a cat stalking a bird, you know, and the intentions are not good. And it's important that we be ever vigilant. I I could take another 30 minutes and talk about different uh, true stories that I've seen over the years related to things that have happened in church and in many instances even with preachers to where they did not maintain sexual purity. Let me tell you, there have been more preachers fall as a result of impure relationships or money. Those two things have ruined more than anything else. And, and, and every one of us ought to live our life in such a way that we are above reproach in such a way that we are blameless and that there can be no question about our lifestyle. Now, verse 29, he starts speaking here about the matter of abstinence. What time is it? All right, verse 29. Let's just read down through these verses. He says, Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babblings, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, they that tarry long... Sounds like he had uh, knew something about gillies, huh? Uh, I mean, he's describing what you see in these nightclubs. They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it's red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. You know, the this problem with alcohol isn't something that's new. You can trace it all the way back through the Bible and all the way back to to Noah. And, and, and I mention that because when you look at the harm that it has done, and you look back through the centuries and you would think, all right, by now we would have recognized the danger of alcohol and we would have taken steps in order to, uh, you, you know, to stay away from it. But we haven't. We haven't. Uh, you know, we tried the prohibition. That didn't really change any anything to speak of. It just made uh, uh, made a lot of poor people rich as a result of selling bootlegged liquor. Uh, and so that didn't solve the problem. It didn't solve the problem because it didn't get to the heart of the problem, which is the heart. And, and, and that's what has to change. 
But when you think about all of the lives that have been destroyed, the families that have been destroyed, the harm that has been brought upon society, that surely by now we would realize that, hey, we we don't even need to discuss this issue. It's a no-brainer. But man is a stubborn creature. I I just... uh, as I was thinking about this verse earlier, and I thought about uh, something that uh, that was called to my attention uh, here oh, a week or so ago, you know, we can assume, well, the, the, you know, the, preacher, there's no need you wasting time talking about this because, after all, we're Baptists, you know, we we don't drink anyway, and so forth, and. Uh, uh, you, you might be amazed if you knew what really went on. And, and and it just infuriates me when somebody will, for example, leave this church. And I say for example, but I'm actually speaking of things that happen. They leave this church who takes a stand against that and so forth and other issues, and they go to a church to where on, I'll just say on certain media, social media, they post pictures of the staff of the church sitting there drinking. You know, first of all, I just want to pull my hair out, and secondly, I want to pull their hair out. What are you thinking? What are you doing Look, folks, we shouldn't even need the Bible to see what a terrible thing alcoholic beverages are. We shouldn't need the Bible to do that because it's right there in our face all of the time. Uh, Jason, as most of you know, being a cop, and he is a traffic uh, accident investigator, and, uh, and already in this short time he's told some really sad stories. Uh, wow. How horrible the lives that have been lost as a result of people drinking and driving. On the other hand, on the other hand, even if we had no evil examples whatsoever to warn us about alcohol, let's say that no, no, no car wrecks caused by it, you know, no, no evil examples that we can look to, no negative effects on society that we can see, even if none of that existed, the very fact that the Bible condemns it ought to be enough for us to avoid it. Why should we need anything else other than the fact that the Lord condemns it? And, and He does so in no uncertain terms here. Proverbs 20, verse 21 says, Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. It is amazing to me, you know, what people will do in an effort to try to justify their drinking. And we get into this argument, and we could have an hour-long lesson about this, but about the argument, well, Jesus turned water into wine. You know, that's that's what they say. And if if, if Jesus turned water into wine, it it must be okay for, for me to drink it. 
and they don't understand that the word wine means the product of the grape, the product of the vine. It, it does not necessarily mean something that is fermented. It, it can mean any product of, of the vine. To determine whether it's talking about something that is fermented or not, you have to look at the context. But notice here, this is very clear in this word of condemnation and warning Boy, he pictures fermentation right down to the T. Notice he says, who hath woe and who hath sorrow and so forth. He says, notice verse 31, look not on the, uh, thou upon the wine when it's red, when it giveth its color in the cup. Notice, moveth itself aright. It's talking about fermentation. It's rotting. So I've heard people say, well, you know, we have to use wine because of the fact that we got to get out the impurities. What are you talking about? You're letting it rot. You're putting impurities in it. It's never more pure than it is when it comes from the vine, just like God designed it. Now, I know we can go on and on and on, and we'd probably never convince some people, you know, as to, as to whether, whether we ought to use, you know, wine for anything or not. But let me just mention four things quickly here to show you uh, the dangers uh, of it. And notice verse 29 that we just read on down through verse 33. It creates grief. Notice what he says. They that tarry long at the wine, they go to seek mixed wine. And he says, don't do it. Verse 32, at last it biteth like a serpent. It stingeth like an adder, uh, a poisonous snake. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. He just warned us about that. Boy, all of the inhibitions, you know, go down the drain whenever you're drunk. And he says, thine heart shall utter perverse things. So it creates grief. Not only that, it corrupts morals. Now we're talking about the fact that uh, that your eyes behold strange women. It, it, it generates lust. It inflames passion. It impairs our reason. And then look at verse 34. It causes us to do stupid things. He says, Thou, uh, yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth. Now get this picture. You think God doesn't have a sense of humor? Just listen to this. It'll be like he, you know, those that are deceived by it, will be like those that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. Now, you get the picture of this ship out there in the sea and that mass, you know, way up there in the sky and somebody going up there and laying down up there. But whenever you're drunk, you do some really stupid things. And I, I, could, I, I, I could tell you a bunch of things that I, personal examples that I, I'd be better off not, not to mention tonight. But the most stupid things I've ever done in my life, I did when I was under the influence of alcohol. And, and, and people do that all of the time. It causes us to do things that bring great harm. Uh, an old preacher with the name of Sam Morris. Some of you that are older, might, I mean, because Sam Morris was from Texas. He was the one that fought for years and years against alcohol. And uh, he, in fact, I've got a couple little books by him. But he, he made one statement that I jotted down years ago and I've kept with me all of this time. And any time I'm talking about this subject, I always refer back to that. I want to read you what he said. 
He said the most foolish, asinine, conceited, and humiliating thing a man may do are done under the influence of drink. He, he will curse his maker. He will abuse his mother. He will browbeat his wife. He will humiliate his children. He will squander his wages, neglect his work, intimidate his friends, and embarrass everybody. No one but a crazy fool would do the things drunken men do. And having been delivered from where God brought me from, I look at that and I think, man, there's a man that knew what he was talking about. Because he is exactly right. Verse 35, and I'm through, shows us the danger is that it controls people. I'll never forget, the, and you've heard me say it, the first time I ever took a drink of alcohol, uh, I took a sip of beer, and I thought that had to be the worst tasting stuff on the face of the earth. I'd never tasted anything like it. I spit it out. I couldn't stand it. I had no idea how anybody could drink something like that. And I'm telling you what, it wasn't just a matter of a, a year maybe, and all of a sudden I... I was under the complete control of it. Verse 35, they have stricken me, thou shalt say, uh, or uh, they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Well, I, I hope that you get the full impact of what that verse is saying there. They beat me, but I didn't feel it. You can't hardly hurt a drunk. They, they, you, get, you get somebody out here, these drunk drivers and what have you, they'll have a, have a car wreck and they'll, they'll T-bone the car and they'll kill the people in the car and they'll get out and walk, and walk away, not a scratch on them, you know. And it's hard to hurt them. The amazing thing is, that just like he says here, uh, I will seek it yet again. I'll seek it yet again. Why? But whenever it gets such a control over you, you're, you're no longer in control. And, and it, it, it's controlling what, what you do. Uh, well... Wouldn't, wouldn't it be good if the whole world would just read God's Word and say, wow, that's the answer, that's the solution, let's just do that. What a difference it would make. It has a way of transforming our lives. And, and so I hope tonight we've talked about something that will be of benefit. Any comments, questions, or anything? All minds clear? All right, well, Lord willing... Lord willing, next week we'll pick up and start in chapter number 24. Okay, let's all stand. So glad Brother John could be back tonight and keep praying for him. And as I talked to Brother Rick and was telling about Brother Barry, he, his surgery went well, but keep praying for him. He's going to have his neck in a brace, I think, four weeks, be off uh, uh out of work for at least two months and can't drive for a long, long time, uh, a couple of months, I think, something like that. And so uh, he's got a whole lot of recovering to do, so uh, remember him in prayer. Brother Fred, if you would please word our prayer for us. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for tonight's word. Father, thank you so much for your love.
your love and your great mercy. Lord, we thank you so much for, Lord, for the redeeming power of your spirit. We ask, Lord, that you just continue to bless our church. Help us, Lord, as individuals to fulfill your will in our lives, put our lives in your hands. Lord, help us to reach those, those about us for Jesus. We ask it all in his precious name. Amen. Amen.